Guys, I'm so excited about how the vision of Nava is not some dude who has a vision or some team that has a vision. It's the vision of Jesus in your life unlocking our plans as a church going forward. It's God in you that's leading our vision forward. Our vision isn't on a website. Our vision isn't, hey, everyone's going to do this. Our vision is, how is the Lord releasing his dream through your life so that we can see the city blessed? And that's what these guys have been. 20 years of friendship. It's so crazy. And uh, these guys have, done, have lived that kind of a life. And I'm really excited that they get to be here tonight to fan the flame of our faith to go bless the city. So let's pray for them and also pray for ourselves as we listen. Lord, thank you for sending Drew and Mary. I thank you, God, for 20 years of friendship and for the partnership in the gospel in the nations. I thank you that we've gotten to sown financially, emotionally, in prayer, in every way, into the mission of God. And tonight they bring back some of the joy and the testimony. And they get to bless us in our time of need. And they get to release the faith and hope of the gospel into our hearts. And so, Lord, we bless them to share by your Holy Spirit, and we bless our hearts and ears to be open to receive. Thank you for Drew and Mary, this beautiful family. Amen. Good evening. It is so wonderful to be with you guys. It's such a joy. Mary and I look forward to this, you know, every two years, whenever we get to come through. Uh, you guys are family to us. And as we've, bear, as we've borne witness to the, the journey that you all have been on, it's so encouraging to watch God lead you guys to be exactly what Adam's describing, this family of families in the city, listening to the Holy Spirit, blessing your neighbors, planting the kingdom in neighborhoods and in workplaces. This, uh, this is our heart, and it's such a joy and encouragement to us to hear the constant stories of how God's leading you on that journey as he leads us on a parallel journey in a different place. Um, it's been a couple years, and there's a lot to catch you up on about Lebanon. You may or may not be following the news, but let's, let's start with the good stuff. So uh, in, on October 17th, 2019, uh, a couple blocks from Mary and I's house, Lebanon erupted in a revolution. Um, hundreds of thousands of Lebanese people took to the streets. Downtown Beirut, this is Martyrs Square, which is kind of the political... Uh, center of Lebanon, it's a, and, and it's a couple kilometers from our house, uh, was filled with people day and night for weeks. And um, I don't know what it looks like they're doing, but they are partying. Uh, dancing, waving, holding hands, waving flags, chanting some off-color chants, but having a great time. Um, but it was this moment, because Lebanon is, is an incredible country with incredible people, gifted, talented a passionate people, um, but it's a, it's a country that has experienced a great deal of corruption, a great deal of oppression. Uh, uh, they've seen so much of the things they've worked for just kind of go to waste because of mismanagement and poor leadership. And it's also a country that has a history of civil war and division. So this moment was unprecedented. The unity and the optimism was something we have never felt before. For the first time, the Lebanese people, young people, felt proud to be Lebanese, and they felt optimistic about their future, and so did we. Um, so unfortunately, though, uh, this, this moment did not last. At the exact same time this revolution started, uh, some of the very issues that, were being, that they were protesting about began to really bear fruit in, in the terms of an economic collapse. So two years on, 
that Carnegie Mellon says that the economic collapse in Lebanon is in the top three economic collapses since 1850. Um, the complete deterioration of the currency, people's life savings, the banks not having enough money to give people their deposits, so life savings locked in the, in the banks. Uh, we don't know a single Lebanese person who has not lost immensely. And at the same time, the political forces that have presided over that corruption and that failure have clung to their position and used street-level thuggery, if we can go to the next slide, to control the streets and what happens on the streets, to, uh, in some instances, act out violently on protesters. Uh, there's, a, there's a popular image of, of a man with a club chasing a woman on the street. Um, things that, they, just a, a very, very dark, uh, dismal response from the powers of be. And, and, and this is all happening as the country slides deeper and deeper into economic collapse. And we saw quite viscerally how optimism can quickly turn to cynicism, to bitterness, to disappointment. And then August 14th, 2020 happened. August 4th, thank you, thank you. I was keeping me honest, because you all noticed, I know you noticed. Uh, so if we can go to the next slide. Um, I'm sure all of you saw what happened on August 4th, 2020, the Beirut port explosion, uh, a, a 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate fertilizer bomb, uh, over 100 times larger than the Oklahoma City bombing, went off at the Beirut port, decimating huge swaths of the city, some of the most iconic parts of the city, uh, completely smashing them to rubble, um, and 200 people lost their lives, and thousands and thousands of people were injured, uh, all because of further incompetence uh, on, the, on, the, on the part of the leadership. So at this point, cynicism, pessimism has become despair. And Mary and I experienced all of that ourselves. We, we were not Lebanese, and there's ways we're protected, insulated from the, the pain of what our Lebanese friends have walked through. But there are ways in which we experienced it alongside them as well. And this particular moment was, was extremely disturbing for us. It was traumatizing for our children. Uh, we, are, we live a, a couple miles from the port. Our, our house shook, buildings, windows broke in our building. Uh, neighbors were injured uh, as we were about to start church with our, with our kids in the living room. And so it just so happened that we were flying out three days later for Mary's brother's wedding. And we were there for about five weeks and then we needed to return. And, and for the first time in our lives, so we've been just a little context. I forgot to give context. I just slid right in there. We've been in the Middle East for, for 12 years now. We've been in Lebanon for 10 years. Um, and our, our vision is to raise up local leaders to see communities planted, simple churches that multiply. Uh, we've worked with Lebanese youth and with Syrian refugees. And in the last season, God's continued to broaden uh, some of what, some of the, the places we've gotten to partner with him in, in Lebanon and in Syria. So we, we, this is our life. We've raised our kids there. We, we love it. But this was the first time where Mary and I looked at each other and says, it feels really hard to go back. I don't want to go back feels really nice in this, uh, you know, this person's guest bed we're sleeping in right now. And their air condition feels good. And we don't, we, it, there was something emotionally in us that just felt like we don't want to do it. And so uh, we did what I recommend you doing in that, in that moment of your life. We talked to a counselor. Uh, 
we, we, we talked to a trusted friend who's a very gifted counselor and therapist, and he, he talked us through, and, and, and as, we, as we processed with him, we realized what had happened to us that made it so hard to go back. Mary and I, our temperaments, we are very optimistic people, and we can get a lot of mileage out of optimism. And I, for those of you who have, who have the temperament, I recommend it. It's, it's a great thing. <laughs> um, and there is a biblical value to thankfulness. There's a biblical value to, to being able to see the grace of God in the ordinary and to enjoy it and to celebrate it. And, to, and just that sort, of, that sort of everyday, oh, it's fine. Oh, no, no, it'll get better. Oh, it's good. Um, and what happened was if people in Lebanon asked us, why do you live in Lebanon? We would say, if, I mean, if it was an, a, a friend or, an, or a real, we could tell they really want to go deeper, we could go deeper with them. But we'd always say things like, we love Lebanon. The food's incredible. You know, beaches and mountains. You can go skiing an hour and a half from my house. It's amazing. You know, we would always try to cherish and be upbeat and positive and optimistic about the country. And people, I think, kind of appreciated that. Um, but something about this broke our optimism. So... Optimi- well, the, thing I, the thing I reflected on in this moment is that, that we all know the, the classic example. Optimism, right? You hold it, the, the glass is? It's half full. Pessimism, the glass is? But what happens when you are holding an empty glass? You can't say, well, no, the glass, it's potentially slightly full. It's an empty glass. And optimism in the face of an empty glass is called denial. But, there, but there's something else that we have as followers of Jesus. It's called hope. Hope says the glass is empty, but I know where the water comes from, and it will be filled again. And I can lean forward, and I can move on because I know where the water comes from. I don't have to pretend this glass is something it's not. I can weep with those who weep because sometimes the glass is empty, but we know where the water comes from. And only hope in that moment, this, is, this was liberating for us, only hope can sit in the pain and can feel it and call it what it is and still carry something inside us that says, we know where the water comes from. The, the, the hope for us as believers is rooted in the story of God. The story of the scriptures, the story of of the God who makes promises and fulfills them, who comes through after seasons of exile and pain and darkness, who speaks out prophetic words of hope in the midst of moments of injustice and pain. If you read the Psalms, this is not a book of optimism. It is not a book of optimism. It is a book of honesty, of pain, and of hope. And Beyond even the the beautiful scope of hope of the Old Testament, we follow Jesus, right? We follow the king who enters into our darkness, who literally weeps at the funeral, but knows that there is resurrection. And so our story is the story of hope. And one of the things as I've prayed about this time back, what do Mary and I, what do we have to offer? What do we really have to give? I think in this, our experience, um, what we've got to see is we got to see God at work in, in crisis in a way that I think is applicable to all of us because essentially crisis is that 
uh, it's, that, it's that event, that moment in our life that uproots us from our normal. And honestly, crisis is the only reason we ever change. We're very hesitant to change as people. But crisis, whether it's a personal crisis, whether it's the crisis of a doctor telling you, you gotta change this, or the, the, the enormous crisis of the government telling you you can't leave your house anymore, the, it is crisis that throws us out of our normal, and we have to change. For, for us, as the people of God, it is crisis that has to root us more deeply in his story. It is those moments that have to get us more deeply living into that story of God. And it's those moments that we have something to say to the world. We have a better story to tell. Uh, so if we can go to the next slide real quick. I want to just highlight a few stories, just two stories really, of, of God at work in crisis, the God of hope at work in crisis. Um, I just want to start reading this passage from Romans 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So one of the things I've learned about crisis is that in moments of crisis, we need encounters with the Holy Spirit. And in moments of crisis, the Father wants to speak over us personally to root us in his story. Every single one of us has a place in the family of God, in the story of God. You are here on this planet because God spoke you into being and he's written you into his story. And so we need, in moments of crisis, when our normal has been uprooted, we need the voice of God to remind us who we are, whose we are, and where we're going. We need encounters with the Holy Spirit. So we experienced this when we got, came back. Uh, our friends, Chris and Craig Westoff, huh? people love Chris and Craig in the room. I know you do. Uh, they were coming to visit us and Mary had a brilliant idea. We work with a lot of young people who have seen their futures evaporate before their eyes, uh, opportunities crash in ar around them. And Mary said, I, mean, we, I would just love to get them in the room and have a, have a Holy Spirit prophecy night. Have Chris and Craig, their trusted prophetic voices, uh, to, to just hear words from the Father over these young people in this moment of crisis. And so we did that. So if you want to get the next slide for me, Lily. Thank you. The, so we had some of these young people. We had about 10 young people in the room. And before the meeting even started, this guy on my right, Muhammad, uh, came over. Now, Muhammad is a student of mine. I taught him about uh, 10 years ago. He had, a couple years ago had an incredible encounter with God uh, and, and asked me to disciple him. And then he ended up falling away from the faith uh, for a period of time and was just really lost. And so he was, most of the young people we invited were believers, but we invited Muhammad because we just, we love him and we always kind of knew he was going to come back around, right? So Muhammad comes over before the meeting and I introduce him to Craig and we're sitting on my balcony. And Craig just is, you know, this, here's a young guy just lost in the world. Just, I mean, been battered by the events that I just shared with you. And uh, and Craig just feels the Holy Spirit, and Craig says, you know, can I just speak a blessing over you? And if you, if you know Craig Westoff, that's like having the voice of God <laughs> speak a blessing over you. So Muhammad didn't know what he was getting. So, so Craig, so Muhammad says, yeah, sure, he doesn't know what's going on. And he's like, and he's, yeah, deep voice, so I'm going to do it, don't worry. So Craig gets up, and he says, Muhammad, you are blessed. 
Um, you are a gift. I mean, that's how he talks. He's not being like Darth Vader or something, you know. Um, and, he, and, he, and he just begins to speak these simple words of blessing over this young man. Then he sits back down. And Muhammad goes, wow, I, don't, I feel a... And then he begins to weep. Like so loudly that Mary thinks one of our kids fell off the bunk bed weep. He is just undone. Him and another girl in the room who had fallen away from the Lord, like the whole night was like this. Every word spoke to this place of, of just feeling uprooted and lost. Every single person who came was weeping as they heard the words of the Father over them. And another girl who had fallen away from the Lord had came back to Jesus through the words that were spoken over that night. And this picture is taken about four weeks later at Muhammad's baptism. When we are in crisis, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the voice of God. And we as the church need to be ready to speak that over the world around us. We need to be ready to bless, to, to see the blessing, the purposes of God, rather than see the story that the crisis is telling about this person. And uh, if you think, I, I just, it just reminds me of the story of Jacob. You know, Jacob, if you want to talk about a, a, fam, a family crisis, Jacob runs away from home and is in the desert because his brother wants to kill him. Um, so, we, I mean, I don't know if anyone has sunk that low, but that's, it's, it's a bad, that's a low. So he has left the home he grew up in where he was a, a, a loved child, and now he's out in the desert camping out because his brother wants to kill him. And while he's camping out in the desert, he has a dream, and in the dream, God speaks to him, says, I'm the God of your father, Jacob, and I am with you, and I will bless you, and I will not relent from fulfilling all my good promises for you. Jacob, who had inherited a story, suddenly became a part of the story because in his moment of crisis, the father called him by name, and that's what we need in our crisis. We need to be called by name. Jacob wakes up, and he says, surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. And when we hear the voice of God in our moments of crisis, we wake up and say, surely God is in this place, this place of, of discomfort, this place of disorientation. God is here, and I didn't know it. Um, if we do the next slide. So this is my friend Jamal. Jamal was a soldier fighting for the Syrian army for eight years. He was a part of atrocities. He had... Witness things that I won't mention. He try eventually he's, he's fed up with it. He tries to desert the army. He is arrested, thrown back into a military prison, spends three months underground in a 100 square foot cell with 50 other people. He's tortured, is finally released to go back and serve in the army. He deserts a second time, walks over the mountains into Lebanon in the snow and begins working odd jobs as a refugee to try to bring his wife and three young daughters to live in Lebanon with him. In this moment, he is on his phone, killing time, and sees an ad on Facebook about Jesus. <laughs> and he begins clicking, he, click, he clicks on this ad, begins reading stories from the Bible, and he, and he can't explain it. But as he reads these stories about Jesus, something in his heart begins to melt. He begins to feel this warmth, this love. He begins to, to, to realize that he's been living his life in darkness, and he sees the light. So he reaches out to the Facebook page who are some friends of mine and says, can I, they said, would you like someone to come and, and disciple you? And he says, yeah, of course. So I live a couple miles from Jamal's, from where Jamal's living. So I pick him up. I take him. We're sitting in this cafe and I, I'm, I'm stunned guys. 
I'm stunned. I cannot believe what I'm hearing from this man. And he's sitting there, tears in his eyes. And he says this, after telling me his story, he's weeping. He says, my whole life has been pain. But now that I know Jesus, I can see a beauty in my pain. My pain has a purpose. I want us to imagine the disciples for a moment. You can do the next slide. I want us to imagine the disciples for a moment. They were so caught up in the story of Jesus that they left everything behind to follow him. They, this was the kingdom of God come in this man, Jesus. And after they follow him around for three years, he leads them to a crisis. He leads them to a scandal. He is taken from them. They are humiliated. They, they fail uh, to show courage in the face of danger. They, they leave humiliated and disappointed with Jesus. And then, that evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Isn't it amazing that the wounds of Jesus' suffering are not redacted from his risen body? They are a part of him. They make him who he is. Our story is the only story in the world where our wounds are our glory, where our suffering is our beauty, that Jesus takes this, this story right here, this moment, speaks to us that there is no depth of human pain where Jesus hasn't gone and where God's hand cannot reach and redeem and make beautiful. And for Jamal, this is the story that brought beauty to his suffering. But it doesn't even end there. If you want to go back, let me just read this last part. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to a group of recently disappointed people who, whose hope was newly restored so that they can tell that story to the world. Uh, now, this is a few months ago. This is Jamal's baptism. As he enters into the waters and comes up in the newness of life, that is the story of Jesus, his wife was standing next to Mary on the, on the side of the river, videoing, wearing her head covering. And she tells Mary, I'm going to get baptized as well, but not in a river. That looks really cold. I'm probably going to do it in the Mediterranean. Uh, the, the wake of Jamal's life has brought his wife into the kingdom. She is now trying to start a Bible study with two other women that she's sharing with. Jamal has led at least three other men in his refugee camp to faith. He, he and I are discipling his brother-in-law in Syria, who he has led to faith over WhatsApp. And the beauty, so the beauty of it is, 
there is, Jamal says, there's a purpose for my pain. And this is the purpose. That now that that story has transformed his life, he gets to live to tell it. He becomes a vessel of hope to the world. And so my encouragement to us, you can, you can come up, Mayor. My encouragement to us is this, that, that our crisis, that moment of dislocation is the moment where we need to hear the voice of God. And it's the moment where we need to be ready to speak the voice of God into the lives of others. It's as we are rooted in that story, right? We, we can live boldly in the world. We can, can, we, don't, we can walk into the darkest places with confidence that the story of Jesus is the story that will make this darkness beautiful, that will turn these wounds into glory. Amen? Okay. So Drew got the exhortive part, and I'll get the more storytelling part. Um, so uh, to back up, just to give context for my current, like, reality. Um, so some of you know me for a long time. So I've been doing clinics and refugee camps with Syrian refugees. Um, I've had some incredible, incredible moments and stories um, and still love doing that. But I had this growing, burning desire for more engagement. And I was feeling it for Lebanese. I was feeling it for our neighbors. I, was, I felt like I have margin. God, I have more. I have more. And I kept praying. I did prayer walks. And um, I tried a lot of things. And a lot of things failed. So this is the, <laughs> this is the, so I like went down lots of roads and yeah. So, so here's the like, okay, God, I feel maybe this and I try this and it doesn't work. And, um, so, so then the explosion happens and like Drew described it, it, it opened up like despair in a way that I've never experienced, like in a, in a country, in a, I mean, the atmosphere, it's like you could taste it. I mean, in every single interaction. And it was so, and for a while it lingered this despair and trauma, like absolute trauma of what happened to, from our corrupt government, you know, like how can this happen to us? So, um, and a really, what I felt unfair move from God, I was whisked into America right after the explosion. So I, three days, as soon as the explosion happens, I'm down in the you know rubble doing first aid, praying for people. Then I get on a plane to comfortable America and stay in the nicest bed I've ever stayed in. And it was really disorienting. And But in that space, Drew and I are grieving. We reach, a, reach out to a counselor. And then we get sent back in. So here I am five weeks after the blast. And I'm saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? It's hit all different areas of the city. Where, where are you moving? Where do you want to go? So it's praying, praying, prayer walking, and then go back to the oldie with the goodie treasure hunts. <laughs> so do a treasure hunt with my, like, um, you can do this slide next, silly, with my uh, Lebanese bestie, Zainab. And we're going, and we, the Lord leads us in this kind of divine moment, and we get into some homes. And we're in an area called Quarantina, and it's mostly Muslim. It's a really intense neighborhood, lots of drugs, lots of really intense things going on there. Um, and there is a lot of aid happening. There are a lot of even people reaching out there, but we're asking, Holy Spirit, where are you leading and what can we bring? So we're sitting with people, we're praying with people, and what we sort of start doing is going door to door and going into these homes and making all of our interactions. We, um, 
meaningful and spiritual. So we'll go in, we'll ask them what happened, how are you doing? We cry with them. And every, every time we interact with them, we do, we pray over them, we read a scripture over them, we share a parable um, and assess the needs. So the need at this moment, five weeks in, is that uh, some NGOs have helped, um, some organizations have helped uh, give them a thing they've lost, but there's a lot they lost. So in that one moment, all of their electronics were lost. So they got to choose between a fridge and an oven. So I said, well, I'll give you the other one. <laughs> like, if you chose a fridge, you can get an oven. And I have this in the back of my head. I bet if I reach out to my friends, I can get $5,000. I, I, I bet people in America. So I'm kind of going with this, like, I bet I got $5,000, $8,000. Anyone who's on our email list got an email. You guys gave. I was able to do this. So Zainab and I are stewarding this kind of thing where we're walking home to home. We're building relationships. We're praying over people. And um, we have this kind of system we pull them into. Of We visit them four times. Blah, blah, blah. Well, then the 24-7 global family in the end of October is, uh, does an auction. And in the auction, the last thing they do is let's support what happened in the Beirut explosion and give a gift. And we get $35,000. So, like, so we're freaking out. And it felt like this prophetic act in the middle of the crisis of Lebanon of this Isaiah 61, the Holy Spirit is coming. And so, so all of a sudden I'm with Zainab and there ain't no way Zainab and I are going to get $35,000 distributed without it being two years from now, if we keep it meaningful, if we keep it in, like relational. Now we can like stand and get lots of things, but can we have those type of relationships where we're seeing if there are people of peace, where we're seeing if we can actually revisit them. So we have to grow our team. So we start asking the Holy Spirit, we need a team. So we reach out to everyone we know and we get some fresh on the ground Americans who are like ready to go into homes, don't speak Arabic very well. And some of the young people that we've been discipling that have really never shared their faith with other Muslims, we put them together. <laughs> you translate for them. And so then we're stewarding this, you know, I'm stewarding this, I got a team, right? But I got the, these Muslim young people who've never shared their faith and I've got the Americans. So we're doing lots of debriefing and Layla, was on my team and it was amazing. And she was amazing, my daughter, yes. <laughs> and so, so we go in and we're, and we're blessing, we're blessing, we're, we're kind of speaking, like Drew said, we're holding their pain, lots of tears over hearing their stories. You know, part of healing and trauma, most of you know this, is telling the story. So we're listening to their story, we're crying with them, we're praying over them. And, and essentially, at the, as, as we're helping, so we end up helping 90 families and then about 20 businesses that had been destroyed. I'm, I'm, we're asking the Father. We're discerning with the Holy Spirit. We're asking for wisdom and understanding. What are you doing in this neighborhood? And what is the need that we can meet? And we can really palpably feel it's trauma. There's lots of stuff happening. People, and if I listen to the voice of the neighborhood, it's we need milk, we need diapers, we need meds, we need this. But what I can, if I, if I can quieted a little bit between the, those type of yells, right? Because those are real. What's the thing that no one's reaching? What's the, the other NGOs can perhaps meet this. What's the thing no one's re reaching? So uh, through a divine connection, my small team gets trained in uh, a really awesome Bible study uh, with trauma healing tools, Bible study, uh, like, program, I'm saying in Arabic, program that's just seven weeks long. And we invite the, the families we've already met into this, uh, into this experience. I've done so many things. I've, tr I've failed and I've done so many things. I'm, I'm, ex I'm thinking if I can get five 
women or two families. I'm excited, okay? And the first night, there's 40 women. I'm like, what? Okay, oh, they totally think, I'm like, they think there's money. They think there's money, they think there's milk or diapers, you know? And so the next week, I'm like, there's nothing else. There's no more help. We stopped the help. Nothing's coming. And the 40 women come. So the women keep coming, and we're having these intense, like visceral, incredible moments doing Bible studies, doing trauma healing stuff, and, and they keep coming. And then they're bringing people. But we, we have to stop them from bringing people because it's actually like a, a program that builds on it. So I'm like, okay, I got a sign-up list. So then we go, we, we about, you know, 25 women end up really going through it with me. So then I launch it again. Okay, so that was in March. I launched it again in May. 40 women show up. I'm like, what? So there's this like deep, deep hunger and it's word of mouth. We're not giving any aid. We're not doing any money thing. And they're coming and they're asking for more. We've got waiting lists and it's actually transforming them. It's actually transforming them. So now this is the, the, the actual moment is where the Holy Spirit's led, right? So here it is me trying tons of things. They're all failing. Holy Spirit takes me on a prayer walk then the Lord's blowing, opening up doors, you know. And then here I've got a few of them that, that had gone through the first seven weeks. And I said, you guys really felt like this process. I can watch this change you. You guys are different women. And you're saying this has changed you. Would you lead the second, the second group of women with us? Like you're on our team. And they said, yes. So we have four or five women who are like on our like leadership team. So we're, we're praying together. Before. They're not yet believers. They aren't convinced that Jesus died on the cross, but they're on our leadership team. They're praying for the women coming in. They're in all of our debriefs. Hey, did you think that woman was spiritually hungry? I thought she was really hungry. We visit her. They're not even yet fully in, but we're, they're debriefing, they're processing. And so one of them is so getting radically changed that she uh, asked, says, you know, my neighbors want this. So can I do it with my neighbors? Oh yeah, sorry, keep turning to remind me. Lily, thank you. Okay, here's one of the homes of two families. That's the rubble. And then keep going. Okay, so this is, these are some of the women that went through all of the, the times with us. And then I think we can go to the last slide, actually. Here's Fatima. Okay, so Fatima is just incredible and the process is changing her life. And so she asks me if I can, can I gather my neighbor? So she's on my team, she's leading it with me. And she, so while I'm gone, so I've been in the States for two weeks, I'm le she's leaving me messages and she's telling me, Mary, not one woman has been absent. She's got eight women showing up every week that she's taking them through this training and I'm like, Fatima, you have better rate than me. Like usually a woman's absent. You know, she's like, I know, you know, and she's, and then she, I, I want, I'm going to save the, some of the Fatima incredible stories for our storytelling. So this is like afterwards, right after this, right after this we're going to share more. Um, but I think what, but this is what she said on WhatsApp three days ago. She said, Mary, it was like my life was dark and now it's light. It was like my heart was in full dark. I, I didn't know. I was traumatized. It's like I couldn't even, I was like I was asleep and I've woken up and I can see people and I have a purpose. And all of this is, I mean, these stories are all about Jesus. And so she's coming alive in the kingdom and giving it away to her community and everyone around her sees it. So what I felt um, as I was praying for you guys and this awesome news, like this summer push of blessing your neighbors, um, is out of Colossians 1. Um, so I'm going to read a few verses, and I'm going to highlight what I really felt from you guys, okay, or for you guys. Um, okay, 
We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thinking, thanking the Father. And the two things I felt really strongly for you guys um, in this season is that, that you would, that the same good news that's, that you received with joy that transformed your lives is going out all over the world. It's going out all over the city. And that you, that you would have um, the spiritual wisdom and understanding of how to share it, and that you would be strengthened to endure and have the patience you need, to have the patience and endurance you need. Because that, honestly, Drew and I will look at each other and it's like, Did it, is this all just happening because we've waited so long? Like, we've just been here. Like, we're just still here. And so, like, I know the Lord is using us and all stuff, but it's like, is it because we've endured? And so that's what I want to pray over you guys. So, Drew, I think we're supposed to do that, right? Um, we're going to have Drew and Mayor prayer for us. I want our home church leaders to stand. Any Nava home church leader, if you would stand. Campbell's, yeah, I know you're reluctant. You got to stand. Thank you. <laughs> just want to just acknowledge and bless you incredible men and women, sons and daughters that are leading in the home, that are following the spirit courageously and say thank you and have... Drew and Mayor pray for us as leaders. I represent that and help lead a home church in Legacy East. And then we're going to have everybody stand and just receive a beautiful, glorious impartation. I was struck, Mayor, you shared the story that recently Drew and Mayor prayed over by Iranian underground church leaders, which is awesome. I want in on that, the Zoom call next time. <laughs> Loop me in. But the, just noted the impact that it had and how it elevated launched you all into more goodness and glory. So, man, there's something about impartation. It just, Jesus honors it. So that's where we're at. So home church leaders, uh, who, who wants to take on the leaders? Let me, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's what I'm praying for the home church leaders. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We are asking Holy Spirit, Father and Jesus. We're asking for spiritual wisdom and understanding. I ask for supernatural wisdom and understanding over them. I ask that it would be poured out over them. And I ask for endurance and patience and that they would be filled with joy as they go out. That in all of this enduring, in all of the patient years of the groaning, of the longing, of wanting to see more and not seeing it, God, we ask for the patience to endure and we ask for your presence to come. We ask for the river to flow. We ask for blessings like they've never experienced. We ask for open homes. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you give creative ideas, wisdom and insight? We ask for prophetic acts like they have never experienced. And we do. We ask for a blessing to flow through this city, a blessing to flow through this church, a blessing to flow through these homes, through these house churches, through these leaders. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody up.
Jesus, we thank you for this family of families. We thank you for this community. We thank you for the church, Jesus, your church all across this city, your called out people. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the head of your church, that you are the king. And we just pray for, uh, for you to send out this whole community with fresh fire, with the fire of God, with hope, with the story of hope burned. And I pray for confidence. Would you release confidence and boldness in them? A boldness that's rooted in who you are, in a revelation. It's not, it's not a personality trait. It's not something they have, to, they have to build up, but a boldness that is just a confidence in their sonship, their daughtership with you, Father, that they would go forth in power. And I just pray that they would, you would give them authority and eyes to bless to bless this city, to bless people, that people would feel seen and loved by the Father through the hands, feet, words of this community over Jesus. We just pray for, for creativity. We pray for eyes to see. We pray for, a, and we just, for wherever there's weariness, we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you breathe hunger and desire for the kingdom of God? Would you awaken desire? Would you renew longing? Would you renew faith? Where there is disappointment, Jesus, would you walk in the room? Would you walk in the room where there is disappointment in this room, where people are disappointed, where they followed you and they are disappointed at where it's led them in this moment? We say, Jesus, would you walk in the room? Would you reveal yourself? Would you speak your word? Would you breathe your breath? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's join hands. Man, thank you, Drew and Mayor. Good Lord. Please, honored to be with you, friends, to be linking hands around the room, receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus, the inspiration of friends who we get to journey with, to participate in what they're doing in the Middle East and to receive it. May it be an injection to Rob and Patty, practitioners here in Kansas City, and all the other burning, stirred hearts in the room. It is no small thing. There is no such thing as a small thing in the kingdom. He sees it, he loves it, he celebrates it, and he said, it indeed will grow. So as we pray the Lord's Prayer, our tradition, we hold that the hope of a kingdom that is greater, that is more powerful, and that is indeed spreading dynamically across the earth, hey? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom.